In chapter 40, it came to pass after these things. So, Joseph has quite a story, doesn't he? I mean, if you think about it, it's like, wow, this, this guy, we, we saw him back home. You know, God gave him a couple of dreams, and, and uh, he didn't interpret him, but everybody interpreted him. <laughs> it was pretty obvious that he was going to rule over them someday, and they didn't like it, and they didn't like how Dad, you know, favored him, giving him the coat of many colors or, the, the, you know, to clearly separate. He's management. They're all laborers, especially when he was the second to the youngest child. And uh, anyway, you guys know the story. They sold him into slavery at 17 years old. Now, next week, we're going to see him interpreting Pharaoh's dream and being raised up all the way to second in command. And it tells us that he was 30 years old. So there's 13 years, and somehow you split it up between him being a slave with Potiphar. They came down to Egypt and sold him as a slave, which he ended up getting in one of the top royal houses. So it was a really good deal. And, and immediately Potiphar said, hey, God's hands with this guy. And so he kept raising him up until Potiphar didn't know his right hand from his left hand. And, and we, we see that in each case, Joseph continued to have this character that's really amazing character. You know, I shouldn't be a slave, but as a slave, I'll be the best slave I can be. And he gets... God's hand is with him. And, and remember last week when Potiphar's wife said, hey, come and lay with me. He says, how can I sin against Potiphar? He's done all this, you know, trust me and, and to break that trust. And, and then how could I sin against God? Wow, he had a lot of faith. You know, there's a couple of passages in the New Testament that says flee from evil. And, you know, 2 Timothy 2, you know, uh, as a young man to Timothy, pursue uh, youthful lust and do it with pe other people who seek the Lord out of a pure heart. And, and Joseph's really an example um, out throughout the Bible of somebody who fled, literally leaving his garment behind, away from giving into his temptation. I don't think he was some guy going, oh, I would never, I never. He's like, I want to, I want to. <laughs> and, um, and he one, and, and James says there's a crown. Those who get tempted and don't give in, there's a crown just for that each and every time. So um, we, we see him now. He gets accused for, of rape. She accuses him of rape. He found guilty of rape, which going to prison is one thing. Going to prison as a rapist is a whole other thing. But in prison, they saw that God's hands with him, and, and he's now over the prison. And, and you, you look at most Jewish writings, they have that he was a slave about a year, but he was in prison about 12 years. But there is no way we know. But he was in prison for a while, um, years. He was a prisoner. And, uh, and so I don't know how it, six years and six years, I don't know how it's divided up, and we won't know until we get to heaven and ask him about it. But so after these things, he's found guilty of rape and put into prison. And now he's been in prison for a while as the top prisoner over the other prisoners. And it says that after a while, he had some fellow prisoners show up. One was the butler. Now, it's also the same word for cupbearer. Remember Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11? He was the cupbearer. It's the exact same Hebrew word. 
which tells us that wasn't a, a butler necessarily at the door, opening the door. It's the guy who tastes the wine. But remember, like Nehemiah, Nehemiah was the most powerful, trusted guy uh, in that position because he completely trusted that he would drink the wine and, and make sure that he's protected from being poisoned. And, and, and it really became somebody who the, the, the king really confided in, it sort of appears. So you got this cupbearer, butler, and the baker. So a butler, a baker, and then the candlestick maker. No, that's not in the Bible, okay? That's, that's something totally different. We don't know about the candlestick maker, but we do know about the butler and the baker. It's interesting, in, in the history of Egypt, there was a great assortment of baked goods that they ate. They really did live the high life. And so a baker uh, was a, a great job in this kingdom. Uh, for the king of Egypt, uh, offended, both of these guys offended their lord, the king of Egypt. So something happened. We don't know what happened, but Pharaoh was angry with the two officers, the chief butler, now we find out, he's the chief cupbearer, and the chief baker. These guys were the top guys in charge. But notice what he did. He arrested them both in verse 3. He put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. Now, um, yes, this is interesting that he evidently wasn't sure exactly who was guilty, and he just throws them both in jail while probably they're investigating it. Now, this is the first time in verse 3 the word prison is ever mentioned in the Bible, but this is a unique word. It literally means rounded house. And so what it appears is that the captain of the guards, which Potiphar was the captain of the guards. And the reason it might have been Potiphar's own house, in, in verse 7, if you look over there, he's talking about it, and he, and he said, so as Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his Lord's house. So some think it's actually Potiphar's house. If it's not Potiphar's house, it's one of the big, big guy's houses. And they actually had a prison for the more royal group of people, sort of like the Tower of London. <laughs> it was round too, right? For the uh, more well-to-do or people who were the elite class. This is what this is. So this, this tells us that Potiphar, you know, didn't just put Joseph in the regular old prison, but put him in the royal prison, because I think Potiphar uh, did not believe his, his wife um, and that, that Joseph was very much innocent. But uh, he puts these guys there in this rounded house, uh, I believe on the same property as the chief captain. And in verse um, four, and the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. So he is now this slave of Potiphar's house, is now in charge over two of the top elite guys of Egypt while they're in jail. And notice what he did. He served them. So they were in custody for a while. This wasn't a short time. <laughs> he, uh, they were in custody for, I don't know, a year or two. I, we don't know, but it was a long time he served them, saying that there was a relationship that had been being formed with this. Now, in verse 5, 
the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream, in one night, in the same night. And each man dream with his own interpretation. So all of a sudden, in one night, these guys both wake up out of a cold sweat, and they remember this very vivid dream. And they both wake up going, oh, man, I had such a dream. And they go, me too. And they both shared their dreams with each other, but it was so specific and so detailed, and, and it had such a, a heavy impression on them. They had a sense that there was a meaning in their dream. It just wasn't a wild and crazy dream. Now, in verse 6, Joseph came to them in the morning and looked at them and saw they were sad or dejected. I mean, they were bummed. Now, they've been in prison, so they're already bummed. <laughs> but this is a beyond having to be in prison bummed. They, they were just completely in shock, completely uh, dumbfounded by this. They, they probably hadn't washed or ate or drank. They were, they were just dejected there sitting in their cells or wherever they were. And, and so it tells us there, he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody of his Lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad today? So he, he cares. He is being a servant to these guys, but he's being a shepherd too, isn't he? he he's taking uh, inventory of the, the, the state of his sheep, if you would. And he's seeing that they are in a very deep, sad state. And he said, what's going on? And they said to him, we each have had a dream and there's no one to interpret it. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? So there's no one who can interpret it. You're right. Because God, if this is a dream from God, then God is the only one with the interpretation. You know, later on in the story of Daniel, this sort of happens, doesn't it? where Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and nobody can interpret it and they all come up with their normal uh, dazzling you know, insights and, and, and the king just, each, each of them just said, no, that's, that's you, that's not it. And Joseph and his buddies sought the Lord and they sought him and sought him and, and eventually the Lord said, here's the interpretation of the dream. They, it was from God. And Joseph knew, hey, if this dream is of the Lord, God knows the interpretation. So he says, tell them to me, please. Now, it appears that he immediately has the interpretation, but maybe um, he had to seek the Lord for a time. We don't know. Now, let's just talk about dreams just a minute here. Um, we see a lot of dreams throughout the Bible. We, for example... Uh, God spoke to a pagan ruler, Abimelech, in a dream back in chapter 20 of Genesis. He spoke to Jacob in a dream in Genesis 28 and 31. He spoke to Laban, that evil man, in Genesis 31, also of a dream. Uh, the Midianites had a dream back in the story of Gideon uh, in Judges 7, and they knew Gideon was going to win the battle. 
Solomon had a dream in 1 Kings 3. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream in Daniel 2. Daniel had a dream in Daniel 7. Joseph, the, the father of Jesus, for lack of better saying, Mary's husband, he had a dream to marry her and, and then to uh, not disgrace her and then eventually to go to Egypt and then a, a dream to come back to, to Israel. And then Pilate's wife um, also had a dream and she was terrified by it in Matthew 27. Now, here's an interesting thing. As you look to the dreams of the Bible, wicked, non-believing people had more dreams than the righteous. As a matter of fact, it's about two to one. That's an interesting thought. I, I know today we are hearing constantly stories of Muslims throughout the, the 1040 window. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's a very hot, difficult part of the world. If you look on an atlas where there's almost no missionaries and no Christians and God's coming to these guys in a dream. Jesus is speaking to them, telling them the gospel. And they wake up in the dream and they start following Jesus. And, and uh, many of them die and get persecuted for that. But it's, uh, we've heard this dream over and over again. And people at first were perplexed going, this doesn't seem right. Oh, not, no missionaries going there. Jesus is going to go there in a dream. Now, I would also make it clear that not every dream is from God. Okay, Solomon points this out in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 3, for a dream comes through much activity, <laughs> or we know today, pizza, uh, too late at night. Um, Ecclesiastes 5, 7, for in the multitude of dreams, there are many words, there is always vanity. Just fear God. So Solomon didn't have a lot of good to say about dreams, although Again, yeah, the Lord spoke to him powerfully early on in a dream, but in his life experience, he didn't put much cloud in it. It's interesting that the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 13 and Jeremiah 23 were told not to follow dreamers because they were apostates and they were not preaching the message of Christ. They were actually having dreams from Satan, if you would, and those were leading people away from God. And there's much more in the Bible about that. But it is something that would happen after the day of Pentecost. In, in Acts 2, 15 to 18, it says, For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servant and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. So he's saying that the dreams were prophecies, as well as the other type of things. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 21, it says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies or God speaking through a dream in this case. But test all things, hold fast to what is good. An important note, and uh, we will look at that later, but here we see that he says, tell me the dreams. And the chief butler says, I'll go first. And he told him his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dreams was a vine 
that was before me. And in the vine there were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I pressed them into the Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place or your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were originally his butler. So the vine, we, we study through the Bible the vine is a good thing. We never see it being a bad thing. The, the vine represents Israel. It, it, all through the Psalms, it represents a fruitful person. And, um, and so this seems to be something that he, he, he interprets from God saying, hey, this is good. It's a flourishing vine. And, um, and, and this is the meaning of that. Now, we wonder, what's going on in Joseph's mind? Is he just like going at rest? He's at peace, going, I'll be in this prison the rest of my life. I'll die here, and I'm okay with that. God's will be done. I don't care. No, we, we discover here in verse 14 and 15 something very astute. Here, Joseph realizes this, is a, this guy's going to be a very influential guy and have the, the ear of Pharaoh, and he says, this is a good chance I could get out. I've been looking for an out, evidently. I've been looking for an angle. Maybe he has been trying to write letters and petition judges to relook and examine his case. Maybe he's writing to Potiphar. I don't know, but he, he says, but remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. And for indeed, I was stolen away. From the land of the Hebrews, and also have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. So he, he says, I'm an innocent man. I'm telling you plainly, um, the, what they said I did to get in prison was a lie. I'm actually, uh, uh, I, I've been trafficked. Um, I'm a slave traffic person from my home. And, uh, and I've been wrongfully even brought to this country. I want to go back to my family. Get me out of here. Now, when the chief baker saw the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream. And there were three white baskets on my head. Now, in the upper basket, there were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. And the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will, and it's the same exact words as in verse 13. He will lift up your head. Uh, I think the New King James here says, will lift off your head. But it, it literally is the same Hebrew sentence. He will lift up your head. So, so far, so good. He's going to lift up your head, just like he lifted up the butler's head, and he made him back into his position. He's going to lift up your head and cut it off from you. He's going to lift up your head off you, from you. 
and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you. So as we look through the Bible and look at birds, not always, but often they are symbolism of evil. Remember Jesus in the parable, he planted the, the seed in the four different soils. The first one it went upon the road and the birds came down and ate it up. Jesus said that was Satan stealing the, the word of God out of their hearts. And, and the revelation in, in Babylon there, um, it says in the birds of the air came and ate the flesh and, and so forth. Jesus tells another parable about uh, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed plant becomes this mutant thing. It becomes so big that birds can come and nest in it. And, and he basically says that the kingdom of God is going to become big and powerful, but this evil is going to come and be able to make its home right inside this mustard seed plant. So um, again here, he, he's able to understand that this basket of bread, and of course, bread, if it has leaven in it, is also considered evil. Uh, get the leaven out of your house um, during the Passover time. Um, and so he's got three baskets, and the birds are eating the food that's supposed to go to Pharaoh, and, and he interprets this, yep, in three days, you're going to be put to death, and the birds are going to be eating your flesh. Now in verse 20, it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all the servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. So it appears that he brings them both out for his birthday. And the butler's doing his job and the baker's back in his position as well. And they're, you know, got their royal clothes on and they're taking a bath and they're both now back in their positions. But at some point, I mean, if I'm going to dramatize this, um, you know, it seems like Pharaoh says, yeah, you know, the blah, blah, blah. This is the story of the, the, the cupbearer and this is uh, what we discovered. He is innocent. He was being accused by evil men. But the baker Maybe he's the one who accused the cupper. I don't know. But he then tells a story and says, you are the man. And when he thinks he's back in his position and all going well, they grab him and take him out and hang him. So it seems like there's a bit of a, a, a procession in this. They both are lifted back up, but then one stays as the, but, the butler and the other one is put to death. Then he restored, in verse 21, the chief butler, excuse me, the baker dies. I'm sorry, the butler's back in his position, the baker dies. But then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Now this chapter ends on rather a down note. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. We're going to start next week in chapter 41. It came to pass at the end of two full years. So it appears that Joseph, after the baker's restored, excuse me, the cupbearer is restored, has great hope. 
Like, man, he's going to put this good word in. He's going to be so thankful. I, you know, I had this interpretation and, and this all happened. And, and surely he's going to go to bat for me. But a week goes by, has high hopes. You know, any letters, any word yeah, looking out there? Anybody coming? You know, a month goes by. A whole year goes by. Well, you know, sometimes it takes a while to get through the palace and, you know, for, for this machinery to work in the, in the government. I, I can give it, you know, but surely it won't be much more than a year. And it keeps on going. And then two years pass and he discovers this cupbearer didn't do anything for him at that point. Left him there hoping, if the proverb says, you know, Heart deferred, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So it appears that he, when we look way back two years earlier, he's like, get me out of here. Please be, be nice to me. Be kind to me. Get me out of here. So it didn't seem like he's, you know, just twiddling his thumbs and going, oh, you know, live and not live in prison or free. It doesn't really matter. I'm in God's perfect will. Life goes on. It doesn't seem to be that way. But yet we, we get this note, again, how unhelpful man was when he could have been helpful. This is the important note. Don't be angry at people for being human. I can know exactly what that cupbearer did. He was just so happy that the prison days were over him. Like a lot of guys who get out of prison, they want to think they never were there to begin with. I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to meet somebody that I used to know in prison. I don't want to tell you what I learned in prison. I, I want to act like I never was in prison. There's people like that. And I think that's what he did. And just anybody in prison, anybody associated, it's my past life. I don't even want to consider talking about it. And so he forgot him. Interesting, David twice in the psalm, Psalm 60, verse 11, and Psalm 108, verse 12 says, uh, he calls out to God, give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. It says in the New King James, like the Old King James, for vain is the help of man. Empty is the help of man. What we learn is Every man will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find it, few and far between. Something I've been saying for years is when you need man or men's help the most is when they will not be there or when they will be there the least. Don't get bitter over it. Often it's God's plan for you to look to him only. But I, I've gone through this with so many people where the time they really needed people to reach out to them, not one phone call, not one letter, not one person communicated with them. The time they were really suffering is when, you know, and they're, they're watching other people get ministered to in such a situation. But when I was in that situation eight, eight months ago, I got nothing. And I'm just telling you, we're going to all go through that. And it's like God has hedged us before and behind in every way to keep man's help from getting to us, to bring us to that place of a great breaking and, and just a trust to him and him only. It's going to happen in your life. Now, Joseph is such an example. I, I, I've seen, especially young people, go through a tragedy and just say, well, pff, God didn't give me victory in that. I'm out of here. You know, a young couple losing a baby. And they just shut down. Screw God. If he does exist, I don't want to know him. 
um, you know, that he's letting this pain come into my life. Uh, I don't want to even think about it. And then I've seen people, small things. They lose their job. They get a new one the next week, but I mean, that's it. <laughs> you know, God let me lose my job. I'm never going to talk to him again. In their mind somewhere, they, they got into their thinking that if you're believing in God and serving God and worshiping God, then you're never going to end up imprisoned, suffering in the bad place on earth. It's just completely untrue. Boy, the Bible's full of this. And that Peter goes all into it. Don't think it's some strange thing when fire is trial, try you. This is the norm. To this you were called. Christ was called to this. You're called to this. This is our calling. And uh, walk by faith. And so, again, we, we come to that. What do we learn in this chapter? First of all, all men God uses greatly, he first prepares greatly, which usually means... It's a very difficult, dark time. God breaks a man much before he uses a man much. Number two, if you are willing to endure the greatness of God's preparation, they'll take a shortcut. That's why James says, let the trials have their perfect work. Don't complain about it. Don't, don't beg God to get you out of it because the fact is, is God has you there for as long as you need to be there to become the person you need to be for God to do the work in you. So we say, man, two years, he forgot him. And God's like, right on time, perfect timing. Yeah, yeah, this is how many, I, I needed you to be in prison two more years. Now, I don't think if God had spoke that to Joseph, oh, by the way, Joseph, you got another two years. No, you know, um, and so think about it right now in the present. What difficulty are you in right now that you would love to get out of? But after tonight, you realize, hmm, God might have this difficult physical situation, financial situation, relational situation. He might have me for another two years here. And you got to come to that place to say, not my will, but thy will be done. The third thing is God has in both the steps and the stops of Joseph's life. This is what we see, that, that God is, and this is what we see, and this is what Joseph, and we get to chapter 50, is going to finally say to his brothers, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. But you got to realize that a majority of my life, there's a big part of my life that the evil you put on me made me suffer. We know about the 13 years for sure, but the loss of not being with his family and his dad. And, 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 but I, I see that God has always had his hand upon my life, no matter where I've been, what I've been doing. And of course, we know he has faith when he's with Potiphar. He has faith as a prisoner. He never gets bitter at God, mad at God, curses God. We don't see a stumbling in his faith. Then we go to Hebrews. What does it say? All the men of old, every single one of them, gained approval with God by their faith. Faith in God. And of course, when we look at their stories in Hebrews 11, it wasn't they had such great faith when they went through good times. <laughs> it was their faith, like Job when he went through the dark night of the soul, that was when the faith really counted. 
And that's where he had it, even in a very confusing situation. Now, we look at Joseph. I do not think he's a type of Christ, but I do think he's a picture of Christ. And there's a difference. Theologically, hermeneutically, there's a difference. But the, the, the point is, is there's a lot of parallels. And I do think we were to pick up on those parallels. It's interesting that Jesus was in prison with two particular guys that ended up being crucified with him. And one of them had a, a, a great story in heaven with Jesus, and the other one did not believe and no doubt went to hell. But we also um, see that Joseph didn't seem to have a problem telling the second guy the truth about the dream, even though it was incredibly bad news. You know, it doesn't say, and Joseph's like, mm, your dream, I don't know. I, I don't know. The, the birds and the, I, the, the I'm not, just, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what your dream, I know what the, uh, the cupbearer's dream means, but your dream, I, I just, I don't have the interpretation for that. <laughs> a lot of people would have done that, or, oh, let me think about it and get back with you in a couple of days. He said, man, didn't miss a point. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. And the truth is talking about your demise. We see Jesus was this in this same way. In John 3, verse 14 through 18, and as Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So perishing or eternal life. I'm doing everything I'm doing, so there won't be people perishing, but will have everlasting life. And then verse 17, for God did not send his Son into the world, condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He repeats this down in 336 of John. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. If we are to be a faithful witness... We've got to be willing to speak the whole truth. Christ did not die on the cross to make good men better. He died on the cross because men without him were going to perish. Now, here's an interesting point. Joseph could only interpret a dream for the non-guilty guy to have good news. The guilty guy... He had no message for him other than in three days you're dead. But in Christ, he does have good news for the guilty, doesn't he? In Romans 6.23, I had so many verses, but I got rid of them. I just got this one. For the wages of sin is death. That's what our life adds up to. Whether you've lived 20 years or whether you live 100 years, when we look at our life from God's point of view, who will judge all things, and you total it up, every single one means we shall perish. We shall be condemned. The wrath of God shall be on us forever and ever. 
The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. True? Well, let's have some questions. If you have any, it could be on this topic tonight or on any other um, question that's come up in your, in your life. No questions? This is the thing. I, I'm so thorough on this. Nobody has questions. Oh, Pierre's going to throw me a, uh, some, some. Okay. Go ahead, Pierre. Shackles. Well, again, this is an interesting thing with the commentaries. If you look at the word, like in verse 3, the place where Joseph was confined, that word confined, and it says it a couple more times in here, is the word to be shackled. But it could be literally shackled or sort of, you know, he was shackled by being stuck in prison grounds. It could go either way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. just like when it talks about these chief butlers and, and Potiphar being um, the chief of the, that, that word literally is the word eunuch. <laughs> but we know they, that Potiphar wasn't a eunuch, he had a wife. So again, could, could that literally be a eunuch? Like I think Daniel and his buddies were literally made a eunuch, yes. But it doesn't actually mean that. It could just be, a, a, you know, the root of a word that over time developed. And it doesn't mean that literally, it's just simply the word they used. So, yeah, there's, there's interesting things, you know, to questions. And unfortunately, in the Jewish commentaries, they go into great detail. And they're just like, dude, you know, you don't know. You're, you're trying to come up with and be some authority on, on some root word of something when, it, yeah, your, your guess is as good as anybody else's, so... Yeah, we were left to have to, you know, wait for more information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it was a, a, they were stuck on these grounds and in this round house, whatever that means. Um, but it doesn't seem like they were in, in hardcore prison, like the, that. What did you? White collar prison. May have been a dungeon. Well, it really isn't the word prison that we have later on. Like I said, the first usage is back in chapter 39, verse 20. The word prison, it literally is the word round house. So he was. Right. Paul was in the garden? Yeah. Uh, was he able to walk 
No, he was under house arrest. He wasn't in the prison all the time. He was part of the time, but um, he was under house arrest. You, you go rent a house, and they have guards that you got to stay in the house. I don't think he got to walk around outside in the garden. No, no. You've got to be careful about the movies you watch. I, I, yeah. Okay. You, yes, let us know. Send a message somehow. Yes. Yes. Yeah, 100% they did not know what they were prophesied about. No, it actually says that in Peter. <laughs> Peter says they all prophesied not knowing what they were prophesying. Yeah, so if you look, for example, in Isaiah 61, you can see an example of that. Do you know this example, Pierre? No, no, it's, it's uh, something Jesus quotes in um, Luke chapter four, where in, in chapter 61 of Isaiah it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He proclaimed liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And it says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, comma, and then it goes on, and the day of the vengeance of our God, and then he goes on talking about the, uh, the, the end of the tribulation period. But if you look over in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, Jesus actually stops right after the first line of verse 2 to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So the prophet Isaiah thought that the second part, referring to the tribulation period and after the tribulation period, was all at one time. He had, a, he had a prophecy, but it wasn't all at one time. That's why Jesus stopped in the middle of the sentence because the second part of that, after the middle of verse two going on down, did not apply because in Luke chapter four, he says, this prophecy is fulfilled today in your midst. But had he gone on about the vengeance of God, that wouldn't be fulfilled. Yep. Well, again, I, as, I, as I look in the New Testament at those who prophesied and who were prophets in the New Testament, and matter of fact, he says it there in 1 Corinthians 14. He says it's for encouragement and exhortation. It's not for revelation. I mean, it can be just like Agabus in Acts 11 prophesied that there was going to be a famine and they need to gather money in advance for the poor that are going to be in Jerusalem. But it, it, it is not necessarily something that we're to act on. I, I've seen, matter of fact, where I pastored down in Chula Vista in San Diego, there was a church and, and they started having prophecies every service. 
And the pastor had taught that, man, when God gives a prophecy, it's as good as if it were in the Bible. And you got to obey it. And when those kind of things happen, all of a sudden God's prophesying, this guy and this girl gets married. Man, they got to get married whether they want to or not. That's the word of the Lord. Um, and then they need, you know, for some going, we need to change the time of the service. Um, there was all kinds of stuff. And then um, people miss midweek service and there was a prophecy and they're showing up Sunday morning going, what's going on here? Well, there was a prophecy Wednesday night, so we had to do this to obey that prophecy. And then eventually prophecy started contradicting one another. And when I'd been through, I know when the Iron Curtain had fallen and went into Europe, there were some Pentecostal churches and ended up being several Calvary people who came to Calvary Chapel out of the crazy Pentecost churches who got married because they were told they had to marry through a prophecy and they did not like each other. They did not want to be married. And they realized now that they have sound doctrine, that that wasn't from God. That's not the way the Lord worked. And I was like, do I still have to stay married to that person? That conversation came up regularly because of that. So I think that it says, like the passage I read in First Thessalonians, let everybody discern. And I think that's it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, primarily, um, it tells us in Hebrews 1 that in these last days, God is primarily going to speak through the Son. And the Bible is from Jesus. And the Bible's word was with God. The word was God. The, that, word, that, that word that became flesh is Jesus. So I think we need to stay with the Bible. And, of course, it is definitely... Um, the standard, and, and if the, if they disagree with the Bible, um, or you know it's not consistent with the Bible, then immediately I would reject it. But you know I've been in, in, in Pentecostal churches. I'm a bit. I really consider myself a Pentecostal as well. But um, but you know some guy comes up and says, "Hey, the Lord told me Africa. I saw Africa. You're to go to Africa." You know, and he knew the guy was wanting to be a missionary, not sure where to go, and and you know. One guy's like, man, i got to go to Africa. The, you know, the Lord, I'm just like, no. You need to just take that like Mary took Simeon's prophecy, you know, in, in Luke chapter 1 and 2, and just hide it in your heart and say, Lord, if that's of you. But there are times when God prophesies, and it's, it's him. People know it, like Agabus or the three virgin daughters of uh, Philip later on. They bound Paul, and they said, you're going to go to prison and you're going to get chained and, you know, like we're these ropes that we're tying around you. And so they said, hey, that means not to go to Jerusalem, Paul. And Paul said, no, it's just telling me what's going to happen when I get there. I'm still going. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I know what's going to happen when I get there now. Yeah.
Okay. Yeah, I think we're going to leave it there tonight, and we can talk. We can talk after this, as we're we're running out of time here. But good questions, guys. Thank you for for having them. Hmm. What's that? Yeah, at first, but Pierre started the the fire burning. Yeah, ask right afterwards. I'll be here, or you can save it, and next week it'll, for everybody, it depends on how you want to Lord, we thank you, God, for your people. Thank you for bringing all of us here tonight. Lord, we all were weak. We're all weary. We're all uh, struggling in so many ways, Lord, and uh, often those become excuses why we don't gather together on these Wednesday nights. Often... We are uh, listening to our bodies more than, than your word and our spirit. We, we all, Lord, all of us are in that same boat, Lord. Daily to discipline our bodies, Lord, daily to get in the word and get in prayer and to seek you and to, and to find you. And, and as we draw near to you, you draw near to us and live that life, praying without ceasing, meditating your word. It's your grace, God. We ask right now that you would just fall upon us all like the day of Pentecost and give us grace to cry out to you and to seek you here in this evening. And as we pray tonight, if you would feel led to pray, pray not a super long prayer, but pray a couple of times. Um, and um, be considerate of others in, in that. And pray loud enough so everybody can hear you and say amen. And, um, and also, I just think the prayers need to be sort of consistent uh, with what has been the theme of tonight. And um, if you have a, a friend at work that is in need, it really probably wouldn't be a, a place to pray here in this congregational time. That maybe afterwards you could share that and we could pray. But in this time, it's really around the issues of what the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to the church tonight. 